So today's scripture reading is from Proverbs chapter 23, uh, verses 29 through 35. You can find that on page 307 uh, in the Bibles and the seats in front of you if you want to read along with me. Again, it's Proverbs chapter 23, verses 29 through 35. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaints? Who has needless bruises? Who has bloodshot eyes? Those who linger over wine, who go to sample bowls, bowls of mixed wine, do not gaze at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down so smoothly. In the end, it bites like a snake and, it po and poisons like a viper. Your eyes will see strange sights and your mind will imagine confusing things. You would be like one sleeping on the high seas, lying on the top of the rigging. They hit me, you will say, but I'm not hurt. They beat me, but I don't feel it. When I wake up, when will I wake up? So I can find another drink. The word of the Lord. Thank you, John, for reading that sobering passage on wine. All right. I didn't even do that intentionally. That just, that just naturally came out. Pretty excited about that. All right. It's going to be a good message. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Uh, and that um, we can laugh. Uh, but I pray that you would uh, help us to just hear whatever you want us to hear about this topic. Uh, it can be a fun topic, but it can also be a challenging topic. Uh, and Lord, I just pray that we would have the right heart as we hear it. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. So uh, for this Christmas season, I wanted to talk about things that we might encounter during the Christmas season. So last week, uh, I preached on gifts, gift giving, uh, and this week, preaching on um, uh, things we might encounter at like a party. Uh, so maybe you have a work party coming up or a special occasion or visiting family or you're having people over to your home and you might be offered a glass of wine or beer or some other drink, cider, uh, or maybe you offer that in your home. And maybe you've never thought, like, does this connect to the scriptures? Does this connect to the Bible? But I think it does. And I think the Bible offers us wisdom, right? Wisdom for the holidays. So as we uh, kind of go through this season of uh, Christmas time and, and we go to those parties and things, we don't just do this mindlessly. Uh, we try to be intentional about it, trying to honor God in all things, right? We believe as a church that we're to bring every part of our life under Christ Jesus. And that means this area of our life as well. So my question is, uh, should we turn down beverages, right? If you are offered an adult beverage, and obviously this is uh, speaking to those that are adults. Uh, I'm not encouraging underage drinking or anything like that. Uh, should we turn down a wine or a beer if they offer it to us, or uh, should we uh, receive it? Well, Proverbs uh, 20, uh, verse 1, says this. It says, wine is a mocker and beer a brawler. Whoever is led astray by them is not wise. So Proverbs seems to hear, uh, I don't know if prohibit, but definitely warn against drinking. Well, there's a book right next to the book of Proverbs, book of Psalms, and it actually sort of seems to encourage drinking on the other side of things. Psalms 104, verse 15. The Lord makes wine that gladdens human hearts, oil to make their faces shine, and bread that sustains their hearts. So which one is it? Drink a lot <laughs> or drink nothing? 
Well, as you might suspect, I think the Bible falls somewhere in between. And so first, we're going to look at kind of the negative side of wine and beer and alcohol, and then we're going to look at the positive side, and then I think there's a third side, kind of the redemptive side. So we're going to look at those three uh, pieces. So I hope that you will uh, kind of come with me through this, uh, this journey. Uh, the Bible warns against the overuse of wine and strong drink. I think that's pretty apparent from uh, the passage that John read. Uh, both the Old Testament and the New Testament seem to warn against drinking too much and getting drunk. Now, the first time wine is mentioned in the Bible is with a man named Noah. Now, Noah uh, shows us that drunkenness can destroy a family. Uh, so maybe you're familiar with this story, maybe you're not, but after the flood, so we read about the flood in our, our Advent reading earlier today, after the flood uh, that destroyed all humankind, uh, Noah and his family, they plant a vineyard. Uh, and Noah plants this vineyard and he tastes of this vineyard and he becomes drunk and he passes out naked outside his tent. And one son, Ham, treats his father shamefully with disrespect and his other two sons, uh, uh, Shem and Japheth, they go and they cover up their father. So there's one son who treats their father disrespectfully, and there's two sons that treat their father respectfully. And when uh, Noah comes to, uh, he actually ends up cursing Ham and his descendants, the Canaanites. The Canaanites become the historic enemies of the Israelites. And on the other side of things, he blesses Shem and he blesses Japheth. And Shem becomes the kind of forefather before Abraham of the Shemites, the Semites, the Jewish people. And so, what do we see here? We see God's curse upon the Canaanites, God's blessing upon the Shemites. And actually, there's this, this prophecy where the descendants of Japheth, the other brother, will come into the tents of Shem. So I think that's even a foreshadowing of the non-Jewish people, the Gentile people, coming into the family of God. And so we see beauty coming out of this uh, this moment of brokenness, this intense moment of a family breaking apart because of drunkenness and disrespect. And so it is, it is a sobering moment in the Bible. When we first encounter wine, it's not really a positive thing. I think Noah was probably, uh, like he probably had plenty of reasons to drink a lot. Like he was probably suffering from PTSD uh, from the flood. Uh, he was self-medicating, I'm sure, but that didn't make it okay. Like, Noah is not the hero of this story when he curses his son and his descendants. So Noah's drunkenness mixed with his son's disrespect, it destroys and breaks apart this family. And it's really sad. So the Bible warns against the overuse of wine and strong drink, even from the, the very first pages, the very first stories of the Bible. Now, as we get, kind of read through the Old Testament, um, uh, we find other things. And I want us to jump to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is a book of wisdom, right? It explains how to live God's way. And, Pro and Proverbs says, wisdom says that we shouldn't overdrink. To not overdrink, and it especially singles out leaders. Uh, we spent a lot of time in Proverbs this summer and this fall, uh, and it teaches us how to live God's way. And towards the end of Proverbs, as we read it, Proverbs 23, there's this section called 30 Sayings of the Wise. 30 Sayings of the Wise. So they cover a wide range of topics, but the longest section is on wine and alcohol. It includes uh, seven verses on it, uh, saying 19 in verses 29 through 35. And it really warns against not drinking too much and all the negative 
outcomes that come from that. I want to read kind of the two central verses since John already read it for us. Uh, Proverbs 23, 31 through 32. Do not gaze at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a snake and poisons like a viper. So this tells us that wine, beer, alcohol, cider, uh, whatever strong drink you you take, uh, it might be fun, but in the end, it can make your eyes red. It can, it later, it talks about seeing strange things. It makes you stagger back and forth like you're, you're sitting on top of a mast as the, boat, as the boat rocks back and forth. And ultimately, it leads to sort of this pointless addiction uh, and leaves you wanting more. That's what an overconsumption of alcohol can do. Proverbs also warns us that, that just drinking can leave you poor. Proverbs 21, 17, uh, whoever loves pleasure will become poor. Whoever loves wine and olive oil will never be rich. Maybe if you've purchased alcohol before or gotten in the habit of it uh, and you're doing your budget at the end of the month and you realize, oh, wow, I spent a lot of money on alcohol this month. Because a bottle of wine can be pretty expensive. And if you get one every week or a couple every week, it adds up really, really quickly. Now, overconsumption of alcohol, so it can lead to poverty, but it can also lead to acts of violence. Wine is a mocker and a beer brawler. Whoever is led astray by them is not wise. It can lead to uh, domestic violence. It can lead to uh, horrible, horrible things. And so it really is this, this challenge to think clearly about our consumption of wine and beer and those sorts of things. Proverbs also warns leaders and warns kings uh, to be careful with wine. It is not for kings, Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine, nor for rulers to crave beer, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and deprive all the oppressed of their rights. So I think it's fair to take this. Most of us are not kings or queens in this room. But I think it's fair to take this verse and apply it to anyone in a position of leadership or authority over another, right? So that could be, uh, that could be uh, you're, you work in the government, maybe you're in law enforcement, that could be if you're in a business and you have employees underneath you, that could be if you're a manager and you supervise those underneath you. This could be in your family, if you're a parent and you have children uh, that you're raising that, that answer to you. This could be in the church, if you're one of the church leaders and you have uh, people that come to you, whether it's in like elders, deacons, or like a community group leader, anything like that. The Bible warns us to be careful with drinking. Michigan Medicine, uh, they published a report uh, in December 2018, so right around Christmas season last year, about parenting and alcohol. And this is some of the things they found. They found that one in four parents who drink alcohol on special occasions are not likely to plan how much they drink or whether they'll be able to take care of their child the next day. Uh, And just recognizing that many parents, they don't have a lot to drink, and then suddenly they go into the Christmas season, they go to a work party, and they drink a lot. And that can be really, um, can really throw you off. It can really hurt you and make it hard to take care of those that God has entrusted you with. So this is something we should pay attention to. Uh, Proverbs would recommend not drinking too much in the first place, Uh, but it's clear to see how over-drinking impairs our judgment. Uh, Three in ten parents Uh, know of an adult who may have caused an unsafe situation for their child due to drinking alcohol on a special occasion. And then one in 12 parents, or roughly 8%, admitted to prior situation 
admitted to a prior situation where they may have been too impaired from alcohol to take care of their parenting responsibilities. So as parents, we need to be especially mindful. Uh, We need to be especially careful uh, with our consumption of things like wine or beer or, or cider or alcohol or anything like that. Because God has entrusted us with uh, precious uh, little children that we're called to parent and lead. And so uh, it's just a challenge to us. And then the, 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 the spiritual parents of the church, right? Our elders, our deacons, uh, God calls us to be especially careful as well. If you look in the New Testament, one of the requirements for a deacon and for an elder uh, is to uh, not be given to drunkenness or indulging in much wine. And so we need to be careful as well. In the Old Testament, uh, priests were not allowed to drink before they went into the tabernacle uh, because they had to teach the people and they had to encounter God's holiness. And they needed to have clear minds in order to do that well. So what does wisdom say? Wisdom says to not overdrink, especially leaders. So it can, uh, overdrinking can hurt those around us, right? It can, it can impair our judgment, But it can also damage our relationship with the one we need the most, with God himself. Uh, Alcohol can harm your relationship with God. When the Israelites are renewing their covenant, so you got to know the story sort of of the Bible, right? We have Genesis, uh, the beginning stories, and then Exodus is the story of Israel coming out of bondage and slavery, and then it heads to the promised land, and then we finally end up in Deuteronomy right before they're going to enter God's promised land, and there's this covenant renewal ceremony. That means they're kind of redoing their, their promises to God, and, and, and we, we hear this in the end of Deuteronomy 29, 5 through 6, where God talks about uh, their time in the wilderness, so I want you to hear this, verses 5 through 6. It says, Yet the Lord says, During the 40 years that I led you through the wilderness, your clothes did not wear out, nor did the sandals on your feet. You ate no bread and drank no wine or other fermented drink. I did this so that you might know that I am the Lord your God. And so we see in this passage that God really preserved the people, right? He took care of them. He, their clothes didn't wear out. Their sandals didn't wear out. But he required that they not eat bread, they they ate manna, uh, and they weren't to drink wine or other fermented drink. Why? So that you might know that I am the Lord your God. I took care of you. And and so he wanted them to have clear minds to see his providential care. That means God was taking care of everything during their journey in the wilderness. And he wanted them to know it. (laughs) And sometimes wine and alcohol can have a way of making us forget what matters most, our relationship with God himself. We can lose our understanding. And if we go to the New Testament, Paul says this. He says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Overdrinking can lead to debauchery. That's like sins of intimacy. But seeking the Holy Spirit, when we seek the Holy Spirit, when we seek to be filled with the Holy Spirit, what are we seeking? We're seeking to be filled with God himself. We're seeking to know God and and be in relationship with him and experience his love and give our love to him and commune with him and talk with him. And that's the kind of thing that's going to keep us away from giving into drinking too much. And so when we do drink too much, we can easily fall into sin. We can stumble. Maybe you can think of a time in your own life or someone that you cared about. You watched them fall into sin because of alcohol. It's possible that if you're prone to drinking too much alcohol, you don't realize it. Maybe, maybe you do realize it, and you're like, I, I need to do something about this. Uh, but if, if, if you're prone, if, you're, if you don't realize it, or you're not sure, you can ask someone. 
Ask someone in your life, hey, do you think I drink too much? <laughs> do you think that I am dependent on this? Maybe you've had someone in your life crack a joke about, hey, I think you drink too much. You were like, ah, oh, that's kind of funny. I would take that really seriously. <laughs> I wouldn't laugh at that. I would say, oh, are you, are you serious? Like, I, I need to be real, real intentional about this. Uh, because we don't want to give in to drunkenness. The stakes are too high. I want to show you the stakes for drunkenness in the Bible. The Apostle Paul says this, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Oh, that's, that's pretty serious. Drunkards will not inherit the kingdom of God. Some of us should never drink. I just want to say that. Because we're prone to addiction to alcohol or there's a family history of alcoholism, I would not recommend you drink at all. Because you don't want to risk this. Now, if you are someone who is struggling or you know someone who's struggling, the first step is to get help, right? Uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, the first step in that 12-step program is to admit you're powerless over alcohol, and the second step is believing that there's a God who can help. Those are not bad, that's not a bad place to start. The, the kind of the Christian, intentionally Christ-centered version of Alcoholics Anonymous is celebrate recovery, uh, and so that's more Christ-centered, so you can try that out, uh, AA and uh, Christ uh, and celebrate recovery. Noah's story, actually, if we go back to it, should give us a lot of hope, right? Because here's a man who uh, pretty much destroyed his family because he got drunk. Uh, And yet, God still considers him to be a righteous man, and he is still an example of faith in the New Testament. And so though Paul warns uh, that drunkards will not inherit the kingdom of God, a moment of drunkenness does not make you a drunkard. It can make you someone who's fallen and broken who needs to repent and change. Uh, And so uh, the Bible encourages us that God offers grace in failure. God offers grace in failure. So if you're someone who has failed in this area, God offers you grace. You can have a redemptive storyline just like Noah. God can forgive you and change you, but it does start with repentance. It starts with recognizing, oh, uh, I've let this thing that is a good thing that I enjoy become the thing that directs and guides my life. I need to change. I need God to deliver me. And so if you're in that situation, please come talk to me. Talk with Mark, John, any of the elders. Uh, we'd love to walk with you through uh, repentance and, and healing. Um, now, I've been talking about overdrinking. All right? That was kind of the main point. I didn't say just drinking. Uh, this implies that there is a wrong way to drink. Overdrinking. Uh, now, this also implies that there is a right way to drink, that there is an acceptable way. Now, just to repeat myself, if you're under the age of 21, this does not give you permission to drink. Do not go home and say, hey, Dad, hey, Mom, I heard this sermon at church. I want to apply it to my life. Don't do that. <laughs> this is really only for those who are old enough. Obviously, don't drink and drive. Uh, don't drink impaired. Uh, don't drive impaired. Uh, but here's the, here's the next point. The Bible encor- encourages the moderate use of wine. Maybe some of you are like, 
breathing out a sigh of relief. Okay, I encourage you to review the first part of my sermon. Uh, <laughs> I think the Bible encourages us, us to drink responsibly, but to never get drunk. See, there's a second story in the Bible. There's the story of Noah, and it's really sad. But there's one that's actually much more positive about wine that follows it. In Genesis 14, a man named Abraham, who God renames to be Abraham, is coming home from a victory in battle. And as he comes home, he is greeted by a king who is also a priest of the one true God. Genesis 14, 18 through 19 says this, Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high, and he blessed Abram. And so here we have the king of Salem. Salem is the ancient uh, city that one day became Jerusalem. And Salem uh, is ruled over by a man named Melchizedek who is king, but he is also a priest. If you know anything about the story of the Bible, uh, we know that Jesus ultimately is a prophet, a priest, and a king. And so this uh, man uh, foreshadows Christ Jesus himself. And we see that in other places in Scripture. Psalms 110, David prophesies that a king will come who will be a priest forever according to the order, uh, in the order of Melchizedek. Psalm 110, verse 4. In the New Testament, in Hebrews chapter 7, Jesus is identified as being a priest in the order of Melchizedek. And so what does Melchizedek do? He brings out bread and wine. He refreshes Abram. He refreshes his soldiers. He comes out and cares for them after their battle. And that foreshadows Christ Jesus, who's going to bring out the bread and the wine as he refreshes his disciples the night before he offers that final sacrifice that will offer a spiritual refreshment to each one of us, spiritual forgiveness. And so I think Melchizedek's this very interesting man who, 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 who uh, foreshadows Christ Jesus. There's also a practical reason. We don't want to overread into it. Uh, there just wasn't much water available. <laughs> much drinking water was harder to come by, so people drank wine all the time, and cider and, and beer and things like that. And so you can imagine if you're drinking this all the time, it's very easy to become drunk. And so uh, what the scripture is going to tell us uh, through Proverbs is kind of this countercultural idea. Be careful. Well, you could probably justify it in that culture. Well, I have to drink wine, right? Otherwise, I'm going to dehydrate. Well, Proverbs says, be careful. Uh, throughout the Old Testament, we also see people bringing gifts of wine and food to each other, especially to kings. Uh, it was a common drink. Maybe you've heard of the Nazarites. The Nazarites took vows uh, to abstain from alcohol and wine, but only for a period of time. It wasn't a lifetime commitment. It was just for a period of time. Uh, it's much rarer to encounter people in the Bible that actually abstain from alcohol or wine or beer for their entire life. Uh, we do find those in Samson, who was kind of had like this lifetime Nazarite vow. And then we also find it in John the Baptist in the New Testament. Maybe there are others, please come tell me, but those are the ones that stick out to me. Jesus' very first miracle was turning water into wine at the wedding of Cana. So I do think that the Bible seems to encourage the moderate uh, and limited use of wine. We see also in, in Psalms that wine can make the heart glad. Wine can make the heart glad. Maybe you know that um, Token, 
I learned this this week. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis, they met. So these are two authors, the author of The Lord of the Rings and The Chronicles of Narnia. They met at a pub to talk and meet, the Eagle and Child Pub in Oxford. They discussed their writings there. Uh, We as a church recently watched a video of a church planter uh, down in New Jersey who is going to a local bar to do ministry. He's doing this thing called Theology on Tap where he just tries to meet with people over a beer, talk about God. Uh, so wine can open you up. It can, uh, it can open you up in bad ways, but it can also open you up in good ways. It can open you up emotionally and mentally. It can be good for your heart. Uh, you can enjoy a glass of beer uh, or wine. And we see this in, in Psalms, Psalms 104, verse 15. The Lord makes wine that gladdens human hearts. God made it. Uh, and all of God's creation is good. Oil to make their faces shine and bread that sustains their hearts. Something becomes bad when we turn uh, it into an idol, right? When we give it control of our lives. And that's no different with wine or alcohol or beer. When we give it control of our lives, it becomes this good thing and becomes a bad thing. But maybe you've encountered someone who, you know, they're kind of grumpy people. They have a glass of wine. Suddenly they're transformed into someone who's a lot more pleasant. I, I don't think that's unbiblical. I think there's something to that. Uh, there's a study actually done, I don't know if a study, uh, a photo study uh, of a man who took uh, pictures of people after one glass of wine, two, and three. Now, I don't, I'm not going to encourage anyone to have two or three glasses of wine or whatever, um, but I do want to show you some pictures of before and after one glass of wine because I think it shows you how wine can gladden the human heart. Uh, so here's this man after a glass of wine. It just... Seems like he's in a much better uh, mood. This lady, uh, it just put a smile on her face. This guy is just clearly transforming his life. Uh, and I like this one, just a great smile. Uh, but you can tell that like there's stress, and then somehow this helps um, gladden their heart. I think wine can make the heart glad. I don't think that's a bad thing. I think obviously we can overdo it. But I don't think it's a bad thing. I want to talk a little bit about Israel, uh, the nation of Israel, and their history. Uh, Because if you look at uh, kind of the nation of Israel, the lack of wine at certain periods in time was actually a sign of God's judgment. So this is kind of the reverse logic that uh, the the, the presence of wine was a blessing. Throughout the Old Testament, one of the ways God judges is by not allowing people to enjoy the fruit of their vineyards, of their labor. For example, the Moabites are judged this way by God for their sin. Jeremiah 48, verse 33 says this, Joy and gladness are gone from the orchards and fields of Moab. I have stopped the flow of wine from the presses. No one treads them with shouts of joy. Although there are shouts, there are not shouts of joy. So this is one of the ways that God punished the people for their sins, was taking that away. Does this mean that if God takes away your wine that he's judging you? Not at all. Uh, but it does imply that there is something good about a vineyard. There's something beautiful. And in general, it's a blessing. Solomon talks about the vine and wine. He says that love is like wine. The, the poet Solomon uh, describes, describes love as wine and, and kind of contrasts it uh, with this drink. Song of Songs, uh, chapter 5, verse 1. Uh, I have come into my garden, my sister, my bride. I have gathered my myrrh with my spice. I have eaten my honeycomb and my honey. I have drunk my wine and my milk. Friends, eat, friends, and drink. Drink your fill of love. Solomon uses wine as an illustration for love, 
Not because wine is a bad thing, but because wine is a good thing. Because it's a sweet thing. Uh, Love is like wine. Did you know that in the original temperance movement, uh, the the original temperance movement was not about drinking hard liquors. Uh, It it was about not drinking hard liquors. So it wasn't just about drinking no alcohol. It was about not drinking like the the hard liquors, the, the hard alcohols. Now, many thought it was fine in the temperance movement to drink wine, beer, and cider. But some decided, well, you couldn't drink anything at all, and these people became known as teetotalers, as in total, totally abstain. Totally abstain. That's where we get the, the term teetotaler. Now, they, they eventually want out, and kind of uh, being a teetotaler is now uh, kind of um, uh, affiliated with the temperance movement. Uh, but it didn't start that way. And so, should we totally abstain? Some people, I think, should, but I think many of us do not have to. Paul tells a young pastor named Timothy to take a little wine for his upset stomach and health. Uh, He does uh, give reasons to abstain, however. And I think we need to be mindful of these reasons that Paul says that we need to be mindful of others. Uh, Paul says to graciously care for those who are weak in faith. So someone who is weak in faith would be a brother in Christ, perhaps, who doesn't think it's uh, uh, I think this could be brothers and sisters in Christ who think it's wrong to drink or who are struggling with an addiction. They don't, you don't, don't see how this is possible according to the scripture. So Romans 14.21 says this, it is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. And so if, if, um, if we have a brother or sister in Christ who sees this as a sin, or who is an alcoholic or has struggled with alcoholism in the past, I don't think we should drink around them. I think we should be mindful and say, you know what, uh, we're going to have them over for dinner or whatever, but we're going to put it all away. I don't even have to see it. And then you're helping honor them. Uh, you're encouraging them. Um, I don't think, uh, obviously, drinking wine is a sin, uh, but I also don't think we want to encourage people to go against their own convictions uh, and how uh, they have become... Um, what they have become to believe. So the Bible encourages the moderate use of wine, but we need to be mindful of others. Now, we've looked at the negative side of wine. We've looked at the positive side of wine. And now I want to kind of look at the redemptive side of wine. Because I do ultimately think that it connects to the big picture story of the Bible. See, I think wine ultimately points us to Jesus. I do. I think wine points us to Jesus. We're going back to Genesis one more time. Uh, At the very end of the book of Genesis, uh, one of the descendants of of Shem, right? So we have Shem, and it goes to Abraham, and then Isaac, and Jacob. And then Jacob has 12 sons, the the 12 tribes of Israel. As as Jacob is like lying on his deathbed, getting ready, ready to pass, he gives a blessing to his 12 sons. And he blesses the tribe of Judah with a special blessing a royal blessing, a messianic blessing. Now, messianic just means Messiah. It means God's special chosen king that was going to come and rule over Israel. And so here, Jacob is identifying the tribe of Judah with the Messiah. And I want you to look at the language that he uses. Uh, Genesis 49, 10 through 11. The scepter, so the king, will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he, to him it belongs, shall come, and the obedience of the nations shall be his. 
He will tether his donkey to a vine, his colt to the choicest branch. He will wash his garments in wine, his robes in the blood of grapes. His eyes will be darker than wine, his teeth whiter than milk. I think there's only one man who fulfills this prophecy, and that's Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus is that ultimate king. He comes on a, riding on a donkey, and he identifies himself uh, a lot with the vine. So if you go to uh, John chapter 15, Jesus identifies himself as the true vine. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. This is beautiful. Jesus is saying, I'm that vine that's going to come and give life and spice and, and joy and, uh, and vitality uh, to my people. And you need to abide in me. Like I'm that good wine. Like I'm that good vine. Genesis 49, he also says that he will wash his garments in wine, his robes in the blood of grapes. Well, that is fulfilled in the very last book of the Bible, I think, in the book of Revelation. In it, Jesus uh, Revelation tells us that Jesus will return in a robe dipped in blood. A robe dipped in blood. And if we go back to the Old Testament, we see that wine and, is identified with blood. That wine is identified with blood. When God gave the Israelite people the sacrificial system, right, so you have to offer these sacrifices to be in relationship with God, the priest would make a daily offering Every morning and every evening, they were to sacrifice a year-old lamb. They sacrificed this year-old lamb with flour, with olive oil, and with wine. And they poured out this wine, and they called this wine, as it was poured out, the drink offering. So this was a drink offering to God, as if God himself was receiving uh, the lamb and the wine as a meal. And we see the same Drink offering continuing to play an important part in the sacrificial system all throughout the Old Testament. It's referenced over and over again that people would bring wine and offer it as a sacrifice to God. Usually we think about like lambs and sheep and goats and those things being offered. But wine was also offered over and over again. And if we go to the New Testament, Jesus speaks of the drink offering. He identifies his blood with the drink offering. Anyone guess where he does this? He does this at the Last Supper. Luke 22, verse 20. In the same way, after the supper, he, Jesus, took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Jesus is claiming that his blood is the wine of the drink offering. And as he is hanging on the cross, the soldier thrusts the spear into his side, and his blood pours out as the final and true drink offering. This is the gospel message. This is the gospel, and, and, and it's like wine has become a picture for something that is so much greater than wine, the blood of Jesus. So next time that you uh, sit down and you have a drink of wine, pour yourself a glass. Think of the blood of your Savior being poured out on a hill uh, 2,000 years ago. And as, you're, as you drink that wine, and it's a little sweet, and it's a little bitter, remember the cross. Because it was a little sweet. <laughs> Salvation was won, but it was also bitter. 
as Christ drank that cup for you. Wine points us to Jesus. We're going to have lots of opportunities this time of year to drink things like beer, wine, cider. The Bible warns against the overuse of it. Drunkenness is not okay. But it also encourages, I think, the moderate use of it. But most of all, remember the redemptive point of wine. It's a picture of something greater, the blood of Jesus. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the blood of Christ. Thank you that you, uh, I don't know, just you created everything and you like hid these little encouragements, these little reminders to point us to Jesus all throughout creation. And you hid this reminder in vines and grapes uh, that would that would one day point us to our Savior shedding his blood on a cross for us. Thank you for the blood of Jesus. Thank you that he shed it so that we might know you and be, be in relationship with you. Lord, if there's anyone here who is struggling with addiction to alcohol, Lord, I pray that you would cure them of that right here, right now. Help them to get in step with you and your plans. That you don't want anything in their life to... to, to prohibit, uh, prevent their relationship with you. And Lord, if, if in some of our lives we've been um, self-righteous in the area of wine, condemning others for partaking, Lord, I pray that you would forgive us as well. We know that both these sins, addiction and self-righteousness, break your heart. And yet you forgive us. You offer us hope in Christ Jesus. Lord, we love you. Amen.